Welcome to the God-Centered Recovery Podcast brought to you by Narrowgate Ministries. This podcast is dedicated to giving you a God-centered approach to recovery and to life. Follow along. Let's get started. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Evan Herman. I am a 32-year-old male who has known God and been within Christianity pretty much ever since I can remember. I was three when I gave my life to the Lord in the car, driving down a big hill on the way home and went to a university called Or Roberts University. And they had this mantra of, you know, developing the whole person. And I wish I took that seriously when I was there and applied myself to learning that. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until 10 years after I graduated yeah. that I start really deciding, you know what? I need to be a whole person in the areas of faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun. Because if any of those areas are lacking, it actually affects all the other areas of life. Right, right. So how do, how do I become a whole person? And regarding the podcast, I wanted to start a podcast four years ago, five years right. ago. But right. I didn't because I didn't feel like I was arrived enough. And so right. I decided to start documenting my journey on the way of growth. And over this year of documentation, I've seen a lot of freedom from pornography. I've seen a lot of freedom from sugar and soda and caffeine. I've lost 30, 35 pounds. I may have gained a few back recently. (laughs) Um, I wanted to comment on something because, you know, I see a lot of men um, try to wait until everything's perfect to really get out there and step out. that hasn't been the case for me. I, you know, imperfectly fumble around and, and, uh, you know, do God's will. And sometimes I, I don't do God's will. <laughs> we, we, the, we are the Mark Sanchez butt fumble of Jesus's ministry. <laughs> That's what we are. Uh, so, you know, I, you know, I, uh, I think it's a, a major lesson and some kudos to jump out there and really share your journey as part of the process because, I think men are screaming for authentic and for realness. And, um, you know, me personally, when I listen to a podcast and they have uh, people that have it all together and they don't relate back to their journey and their struggle, I can't connect. Like there's some sort of disconnect with this, this uh, sort of perfection that's coming off that uh, uh, I just can't. Well, you you hit the nail (laughs) on the head because man, so many times when I would watch, you know, Tony Robbins or, or the next great pastoral speaker or, you know, just anyone from a stage and I'm sitting in the audience, I'm like, how, I, I love the nuggets that I'm getting. I'm going to apply them with what I can, but I still feel disconnected from you because I didn't get to see you live it. I didn't get to see you model it. Yeah, and yeah. you're giving me end result stuff, but right. it, it's the fire that made you that way. It wasn't just, oh, you learned this nugget. It was, it was the refiner's fire. And, and then what I realized in my life is that, you know, I can bring these exceptional guests who are more arrived in those areas than I am onto my show. And then I can be the bridge between the audience and the guest yeah. because I then get to take their uh, information, those nuggets and apply it in, into my life and live it out. And then I become the example. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's good stuff. And I just, it's been very successful. Yeah. You know, I look at, uh, you know, the life of Jesus and, uh, 
Um, he, and I do, I mean this with all, all due respect and I'll, I'll explain my statement after I say it, but he definitely was the king of the knuckleheads. And that is, you know, <laughs> that, uh, you know, the, 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 the righteous men, the, the rich young ruler, for example, the Pharisees, all these different people, you know, excluded themselves from, you know, his sort of leadership, but, uh, the knuckleheads per se, and I, I do consider myself in the knucklehead class <laughs> that, uh, you know, we're somehow more open, but, uh, you know, I do see Jesus in the sense as the, the king of the knuckleheads. Uh, but I do mean it with a very positive spin to it. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I think Tim, when I, when I joined your group for men's recovery, you know, I was struggling with addiction and literally I just, when I saw your, your, your verbiage of, uh, faith, family, well, how do you say it? Uh, family, faith, fitness, and finance. Mm-hmm. Right. So mine's different and better. Faith, family, <laughs> finances, friendship, fitness, and fun. Uh. But when I saw that and, and then as a recovery group, I was just like, what the hell? What do I have to lose? Mm-hmm. And then I started seeing healing happen with all the other things going on in my life. And going back to the king of the knuckleheads, what I realized it was being around this group of guys that just allowed me to not just be real and authentic and vulnerable, but I didn't feel alone. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like this is going to... because I always felt like a screw up mm-hmm. and that I was unworthy. But then I got to be in a group with a whole bunch of other screw ups <laughs> and we were screwing up together. <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't this idea like, Oh, you stink and you stink and you stink. It's okay. We acknowledge where we're at and right. we acknowledge that we want to be better. Right. And that authenticity, that real stuff going on, just it just was refreshing right it brought life to my soul i didn't feel like i had to be perfect i didn't feel like i had to live a certain way and that if i screwed up i could go to my screw up friends and be like hey i screwed up right and they're like you know what thank you you screw up i love you (laughs) join the club (laughs) you know yeah you know there's a um there's definitely a lack of authenticity and vulnerability um, and I think it, it probably is uh, correlated to this mind renewal that we're going to talk about because uh, we have uh, maybe the mindset that we we have to um, uh, have it all together and that we have to give this illusion of success. I remember when I was coached in business, I was uh, it was my first little side gig. It was selling stun guns and pepper spray. I was really fun. I, I loved it. I was I, I flipped through an entrepreneur magazine and this guy Mike jumped out to me and said, would you like to sell self-defense products? I'm like, yes, I would. And so, um, you know, made pretty good money on the side doing that. But the coaching was uh, um, give the illusion of success. Go take a, a picture of you, you next to this false mm-hmm. building. Go lean up against, you know, somebody's car. <laughs> you know, like this weird stuff. Like it's just give the illusion that you're successful. Fake it till you make it. Fake it, yeah. And, um, you know, because that's what the world wants to see where I think in reality, they just want to see someone being real. Right. Right. You know, Zig Ziglar has an awesome quote. There's this idea of fake it till you make it. 
But then Zig Ziglar says, learn how to tell the truth in advance. And there are two different mindsets on how to approach your situation. So for me, you know, again, check up from the neck up is from Zig Ziglar. And when you approach life, you know, for me, I knew I wasn't always going to be 245, 250 pounds. I was, but I kept telling myself I wouldn't be. And I acted and lived, even though I acted and lived like I was 250 with all the bad habits, something eventually happened that I believed myself enough that I wasn't, that my habits subconsciously started to change. And I lost a lot of weight in the process. Yeah. And so when we learn how to tell ourselves the truth in advance, mm. I'm not saying go tell the world. <laughs> I'm saying you tell your, your whole in between these two ears yeah. how to tell yourself the truth in advance with positive self-talk, which will help produce change. Yeah. Side note, can I tell you a story about pepper spray since you brought up self-defense? Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Okay. I love going to gun shows. We have the Metcalf gun show here, and it's one of the biggest gun shows uh-huh. uh, around. And I'm walking by this stand and this guy's like, hey, can I see your pepper spray? You know, I might want to buy something, I'm sure. The guy takes it out and accidentally maces himself in the face. And I'm thinking to myself, this dude is the guy that you don't want at a gun show. I'm not kidding. They had to call paramedics and everything because he could not breathe. Yeah. But you know what? But here's the thing. Here's what I've learned. That guy tried to act like he was a man's man and knew how to handle something he didn't know how to handle. And he (laughs) ended up macing himself in the face. Right, right. He choked himself out with pepper spray. And so many times, yeah, so many times we act like we have it together. And the very thing that we want is the very thing that chokes us out. Yeah. I think... um, so the reality of this is that we're looking for these this outside thing to confirm some sort of identity on the inside. And that is, you know, if I, you know, have this car, if I have this building for my office, then I'm successful instead of really believing that you are successful already and really accepting that identity and beginning to walk it out. We're, we're kind of looking for the cart for the horse <laughs> in a sense. But I know this, that um, we never really rise above what we believe ourselves to be. And so, like, if we're if we have the identity of, um, you know, a piece of crap, or that uh, we're good for nothing and that we won't accomplish anything, then I know for certain that we won't will we won't rise above that that self perception uh, until some transformation begins to happen. Um, and I've seen it take place in my life, and I've seen it take place in others' life, and uh, there's really no. Uh, reaching beyond that ceiling and, and until the identity changes at our core. And I think this yeah. is why um, Jesus focused on a lot of identity statements. You know, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, you, um, you're a child of God, you're, you know, and he tried to just really form and shape, you know, who we are as a person so we can begin to live from that place instead of right. this other place, you know. So you hit the nail on the head. You were talking about being successful. And I was, I'm in the process of writing a book. And I'm going to make that as a statement now, because I'm like 28 pages into writing this. And today I was writing a little bit about success. Um, we have to redefine what success is within ourselves, 
versus looking at exterior things that tell us what success is. Mm-hmm. You know, for the longest time, I viewed success as materialistic, as money in the bank, and yeah. uh, the cars, the vacations, the happy family. Right. You know, the picture perfect Instagram post. And I lived a very miserable life because I just couldn't attain all that. Right. I don't know how many people are actually able to, unless you have extraordinary amounts of wealth. But for the common people like us, it's hard to get that. And so I had to learn how to redefine what success is to me. Yeah. And I think we all individually need to redefine success. And here's my definition of success. I have four people in my life. Let's see. Well, three going to be four with my child on the way. Mm-hmm. My definition of success is that I give them back to God better than he gave them, that I steward their hearts and their relationships well, mm-hmm. and, that, and that they end up in heaven. And if that's the only thing I can do and participate in successfully, then that in and of itself is enough. Mm-hmm. And so I simplified what my definition of success was, I didn't make it all these exterior things, but I made it something more vastly important. And I still don't have control over how my children will choose to live later. But what matters now is how I pour into them. And that's my opportunity that I got to look forward to every single day. Mm, That's good stuff. You know, as far as, you know, changing that paradigm, I, um, I, I worked for a very successful construction company uh, you know, I bought my second house. We flipped one. Uh, as far as money and, and, and having, you know, walking on the truck lot and just buying whatever truck I wanted, um, there was this sense of um, of pride in all of those things. Um, and it was a really humbling experience, you know, going through 2009 and 2010, uh, where everything come, you know, crushing Gosh. to the ground. And uh, being a part of, you know, I was in that cog in that system of 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 destruction because, you know, being in, in home building, um, it went from the market uh, crash, glory days to <laughs> everything is wonderful uh, to um, we're in some serious trouble. Uh, so losing the house, uh, you know, selling the cars, you know, just really. But the 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 terrible thing in all this is that when we got our identity wrapped up and this is one thing that God taught me through uh, that scenario and really caused this mind shift change that my identity is not what I do. Like my identity is not a construction manager. My identity is not this, that, and the other thing, because you know, when, if that is my, who I am, what happens when it's stripped away? Because there is some things, right. That happens that beyond our control that really challenge our identity to to the core so during that moment it's like you know what i'm not a construction manager and it was this differentiation between who i really am and what i do that was a a real great experience for me even though it was painful (laughs) super painful hey i want to talk about uh romans 12 man uh Mm -hmm. when we talk about transforming the mind uh uh i I know you're familiar with the scripture uh romans chapter 12 2 uh, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, and it goes on to to prove what is that perfect and acceptable will of God. Like, what does that scripture mean to you? 
Well, it doesn't matter what it means to me. Because... Well, application, because, you know, okay. uh, you know, I believe in uh, uh, the scripture means what it means. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> because, but the application, like, how has that have been applicable and um, in your life? Copy that, soldier. All right. Um, in the terms of renewing my mind, first of all, when you say that scripture, I think of another scripture, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, which I think is Romans 10, 17. Yeah. That we are to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. And if faith comes by hearing, then to renew my mind, it must also come by hearing. Because what happens is faith is inevitable in the context. Either I have faith that I am one way or I have faith that I can live the best version of me possible that God has created. And so I, I guess what I'm trying to say, in terms of exercising the renewing of your mind, it goes into what you're filling your mind with. Yeah. It goes to what you're looking at, what you're speaking. Because here's the thing, my mind and my ears hear what I say. So if what I'm saying and speaking is negative, then I'm also filling my mind up. Yeah. If I'm watching like positive a, things, uh, yeah, it's a loop. If I'm watching positive things and not news sources that constantly trigger me, which I'm so guilty of, if I'm putting myself in a place to be renewed, both mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, then my mind starts being transformed. But here's the thing. We, so our brains are so awesome because they are able to be rewired and reprogrammed. Right. And the part of our brain that has the most programming is actually our subconscious. It's the thing that operates unconsciously. It's how my right. heart beats. It's how my organs function. It's, it's the very part that sustains me. But oftentimes our programming is in the subconscious. So how can we change our subconscious? Well, I'm not a linguist, but I talked with a guy who was, and he said the way that you learn to reprogram your subconscious is much like learning a new language, which is you watch it, you listen to it, you hear it. And then that over time will rewire your brain. And our brain is like, have you guys ever gone hiking? Mm -hmm. So hiking, and there's this trail that everyone goes on. Our thought process is like a hiking trail. Our thoughts are 90% the exact same thoughts we had yesterday and 90% of the exact same thoughts we're going to have tomorrow. And so what happens is our brain forms these wavelengths, these brain patterns, these paths in our brain of most easiest thoughts, and they travel down that. So if we need to reprogram that path, we essentially have to learn how to clear house in our, in our brain which takes on average 18 months to do. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it's a long process. That's why you have to give yourself grace. And it's why so many people don't do it. But it takes 18 months on average to be able to fully reprogram your mind to a place of healing and restoration. Do, do you believe, because you know I've, I've experienced this myself and I've seen it, um, that when like the Spirit of God speaks to you and uh, you have an experience with God, and there's like this um, 
of course, there's this mental agreement with what's being said, uh, but then there's this heart pulled to the truth and there's this like emotion attached to it. Do you believe like all of those scenarios like happen at once, have a, have a, a, a something permit in an instant time on your heart, in your mind? So are you talking about instantaneous healing? Well, I'm talking about instantaneously changing your viewpoint where it doesn't take this this long process. Like this, gotcha. God okay. speaks, and it's just like this confirmation. There's, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of emotion. There's just a, mm-hmm. uh, this full scenario where it's kind of like it fully established and sinks into to your belief system. Gotcha. So I'm going to say yes and no, because because there's not a right answer to that. Right. Because there are areas in my life where God has given me amazing revelation, but I, while I adhered to that revelation, my habits are, were still my habits and I hadn't broken those yet. Right, right. And I still had to learn how to break those and restore them. And so there's part of this, yeah, it became a part of the revelation that I now want to live out. But yeah, the, the habit didn't change immediately. Right, right. And so you have that. And then there are people that have, so for example, I was 16 and I was suicidal. And when I finally gave that over to God, after I was going to blow my head off with a shotgun by pulling the trigger with my foot in my parents' bedroom on my father's side of the bedroom, I told God, I don't want my life. I can't do anything with it. And I heard him say, good, give it to me because I can. And I fell down crying. I said, God, I, I am already a Christian. How do I give you my life? And he told me to surrender my pain and the hurt. And I said, okay, I will. But you have to heal me of suicide. And he immediately healed me of suicide. I never struggled with it again. For some people, that won't happen. It will still be a struggle until healing actually occurs 18 months later. But for me, that happened. Now, in other areas, healing is a process. Right. And sometimes we get so frustrated because we want the instantaneous healing, but right, God wants right. us on the journey of healing versus the instantaneous. Cause there's things that he wants to teach us along the way of that healing. That's going to shape and form our character. Absolutely. That's a good, uh, good analogy. You know, I, um, you know, I, I view humanity as definitely, you know, having this fear-based nature, but, um, you know, we do kind of come with a little bit of an empty slate. And so environmental factors are definitely a cue, uh, you know, inside of our behavior. Uh, 100%. That's, you know, I entered my teenage years and um, after experiencing a lot of trauma, uh, being taken away from my parents and um, all the traumatic experiences that go with uh, addictive, abusive, um, schizophrenic parents, that, um, I entered my teenage years with um, so many uh, thinking errors, as therapists call it. You got a lot of thinking errors. Yeah, I do. <laughs> like, <laughs> but uh, limiting beliefs, uh, false conceptions, like, like so many that, you know, I I was a criminal. I was a drug addict. I was sedating. I was doing all these different things because. You know, I really didn't have the skills to cope and um, nobody came along in my life at that point and began to make deposits to begin to change what I believe to be true. 
Got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Were your parents drug addicts as well? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my parents okay. were drug addicts. So I think, uh, don't quote me on this specifically, but I'm going to ballpark this. Like 90% of our learned behavior happens by the age of 10. Yeah, yeah. Our habits, our mental programs, the way we think, the way we have conflict resolution, the way we interact are all programmed by 10. Right. And then it becomes much harder after that to reprogram. And so you you keyed in on something very, very wise. And I don't know if you knew this or not. But regarding programming, it happens from a young age. You were predisposed to a specific way of thinking. Right. Multiple. And, and that's, yeah, and that's like even how when... you were trained and raised. And then right. it, didn't, it took you 20, 30 years to get out of that way of thinking. Right. You're absolutely right. So from, you know, what I, my, my thoughts and beliefs about God, um, uh, money, uh, everything that's kind of related to uh, the spiritual life. Um, you talk about police, like um, uh, my, my belief system about police is that they were all corrupt uh, and that they were all a daily and a dollar short, you know, all of these different belief systems. It, it was really funny, Evan, because uh, the guy that took me at 16 was the cop <laughs> and I hated cops. Oh my God. I hated him with a passion, but uh, um, that's who it's funny how, how God puts people in your life, but that's who God put it in my life. Um, but it's really an example of him uh, going through the pro, uh, process of deprogramming and mm-hmm. getting all this stuff out. So, you know, when I when so, I think of the transformation and the renewing of our mind, I see that process of of letting go of all of these falsehoods that we've believed. So I want to paint it this way, and I'm a real estate agent. You were in contracting, and we all have seen the show Hoarders. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Imagine your brain like a house, your mind like a house, and it's clear, it's clean, it's brand new, but over time it gets cobwebs, it gets dirty, stuff starts to pile up on the shelves, on the counters, in the cupboards, starts to overflow, and then it starts, you know, making its way to the floor and then piling up, and then sooner or later, it's full of junk. Yeah. But what's funny, if you've ever been into a hoarder's home, not only is it decaying and falling apart and generally stinks, there's also paths in between all the trash. And these paths are based off of their habitual daily habits and routine. <laughs> right. That's a good analogy. I like that. And so it's what they do consistently. But what happens is they are trapped by the crap in their house. Yeah. And it's not until we learn how to clean house in our mind or in our physical house do we start to express and experience freedom. So we have to learn how to clean house Fix it up. Because here's the thing. Oftentimes when when hoarders live like that, what I've noticed is then they tend not to pay their mortgage at some point in time. And then their house gets foreclosed on. And in the process, their house is devalued. And then an investor comes along, sees the value in it at a specific price, takes all the trash out, fixes it, and sells it for a profit. You have two separate ways of thinking and two separate ways of behavior. And one is profitable and one causes you to lose everything. Right, right. 
That's, and so that's a good analogy. I really question. So here's the thing, Tim. Let me ask you this. In your life, where is the trash piling up that you need to clean house? Right. You know, I think uh, um, for me uh, personally right now at this moment, um, if I were to look at the areas of my life and say, which one is um, uh, is in a little bit of pain? Um, I would say my health is, is in uh, a painful spot. And, you know, I kind of believe there is probably some limiting belief or something that I'm attached to that kind of keeps me. But I do think um, from our group uh, this week, we're talking about excuses. You know, I think that there there's probably uh, an excuse that I hold on that's kind of attached to that area. So, but it's all comes to limiting belief and renewing our mind that we're talking about here. So okay. let's do this. I, I want to try something. Okay. Yeah. So why is your health important to you? Uh, for um, completing the, uh, maybe the mission that I feel uh, for my family and therefore my family and creating the legacy that I want to create for them. Um I think out of those two here's here's a selfish one and this is probably one that's kind of um you know I do believe that if we can project a certain amount of charisma but I think having a healthy body steps it up a notch so when you're talking about influence and um uh the message and, and getting it out there more and being more people receive it more from somebody who's in shape. Who looks prettier. They do. Right. So why do you think okay. I'm about the white glasses? Yeah, there's you know those reasons. There. So out of out of wanting to build a legacy and ministry in your family, which one of those is most important? Um the I think the one that I last mentioned is is a little bit superficial, though it might um open more doors for me um so i would say the um the family and the legacy i think is probably uh the most important thing i'm very active and i want to continue this activity for quite a bit prolonged period of time and that is you know do things with the kids you know and stuff like that so that was so probably the best reason what is causing you from saying losing that weight and being more vibrant in that lifestyle? What I identified um, accountability as a key thing, um, such as these groups, this podcast, everything that I create has a, a form of accountability to it. Um, I have to show up because there are men here who are looking for Tim to show up. Um, so I wish it, you know, when I can, uh, when, around my health, if there was a, a, a thing where it's like, um, hey, Tim, where are you? What happened? Like, so, I, you know, that in my mind is like, maybe I need to join a class. Maybe I need to do something with somebody else where there's accountability going on. So I think I may have spotted your limiting belief. Okay. Okay, but I don't want to say it. 
Why not? I want to. I want to <laughs> see if I can ask questions to to have you come up with it. Okay. Okay. Why Why do you need people to hold you accountable? Uh, in far as uh, exercise and stuff, yeah. I think I really don't want to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> But in order for you to be successful, right? because right now, are you hitting the gym? Are you doing those things even with the accountability? Uh, well, I don't have accountability in that area. Um, gotcha. Like physically uh, present accountability. I think that is one of the solutions that I've came up with in the last 30 days um, was that for me to be able to do that, I probably need somebody to... Uh, that is dependent on me and to hold me accountable. I don't know if that's like going with my son or if that's um, having so, a class that I have to show up to. Here's know. here's what I'm picking up on. Okay. Is that you don't think you can do it by yourself. Okay. That well, you yeah. need someone else. I mean, and, and that, and until you have someone to do that for you, therefore you're not going to exercise. <laughs> right. Right. So you're creating your own self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. That I'm not going to do it until... Until you have someone... Hold me accountable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that being said, you can take two courses of action. One... I could believe that I can do it without... By yourself. By myself, yeah. Or two, and this is what I'd recommend, go hire a fitness instructor at a gym uh-huh. because here's the thing a few years. So in between my groin injury and my knee injury, I was, I was overweight after my groin injury. So I hired a, a fitness coach and I did really well. And then I hurt my knee and it took me a year to recover. And in that year I gained a lot of weight. But here's the thing is because I, I, I put up the money, not because I didn't think I could do it by myself, but I knew if I put that money up and I didn't do it, that would be more pain for me than actually just going to the gym. The idea of losing money. And so I paid a trainer thousands on the front end in order for me to show up yeah. because letting go of that money was painful. And if I don't do that, if I don't follow up, then I let that money go to waste. And that was my motivation is not to waste money. And so you got to find what your motivator is. Right. Right. So that leads uh, on to the question. We have a question. How do we um, stop limiting beliefs? So we kind of led on it a little bit here. And um, that is to challenge the story. So we all have like this story and this narrative that's playing uh, inside of our mind and it kind of keeps us stuck. And the reason why it keeps us stuck is because we replay and rehearse the same thing over again. So the living example here was uh, uh, Tim is, you know, 30 to 40 pounds overweight. He's unhealthy. And the story that he's got going on in his mind is that he's not going to be healthy until he has somebody holds accountable. So now, uh, I personally have an out uh, because there's not somebody to do that. And I'm holding on to the story. I'm playing it over and over. And so what happens first is the challenging of the story. 
So here we have Evan uh, coming in here and saying, because uh, he could see it, right? There's a sense of self-deception in our stories. We tell the stories and they're repeated over and over. We think they're true. And um, it, it takes the challenging of that story. So it happened in this case, live on here on the show, that another person examines our stories and gives us another view and another view of truth. So, um, Evan, how does that play out with the Bible and how we see things? Um, you know, God has a narrative too, right? <laughs> right. Okay. So here's one of my biggest pet peeves in the world. You ready for this? Uh-huh. Christians that don't believe that the word of God is the absolute word of God and that they can pick and choose and believe whatever they want. Either the word of God is all real or none of it is real. Period. Mm-hmm. Because if there's any, if it's not real, then it's not ordained by God. Right, right. And so when it comes to spirituality, religion, believing in God, you have to make a predetermined decision on what you're going to believe before you get confronted with that issue. So for me, if someone challenges my views on what the Bible, let me phrase this. If someone challenges something that the Bible says, and they're trying to say it's not real, my predisposition is going to be the word of God is infallible. Mm-hmm. and I'm not going to change my mind. Now, as you can see scripture differently, maybe have a different interpretation contextually or understand culture a little bit differently, and, and that gives to more meaning of scripture, which I'm open to. But to, uh, I'm going to get a little bit political here. Is that Go okay? Ahead. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You cannot tell me that you can be a Christian and be pro-choice because scripturally, I do not see it. You cannot be for the slaughtering of innocent unborn babies and also believe that the word of God is real and is right and true and honorable. I I think, uh, you know, one of the fundamentals of a Christian worldview is the, um, that Jesus has come to give life and life more abundantly. And the, of course, the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. Um, so it doesn't take much, um, you know, you look at the logic of that and say, well, what does this fall on? <laughs> is it the kill, steal, and destroy side? Or is it the the life and the life more abundantly that, you know, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, right. all those good things. So for me, it's like, like you said, when I run it through, um, my opinion doesn't matter. Shoot, my opinion 10 years ago was quite different than my opinion yeah. today. My opinion today is more uh, in, in conformity, in line with God as he works on me and this, that, and the other. But whose perspective I'm most concerned about is God's perspective. <laughs> right. And me in conformity to that. So, you know, uh, I think that's super important. <laughs> There's, I don't know the guy's name. I actually just heard this today, but it was a theologian from like, 200 plus years ago. He says all the problems that we face, they're either social, they're economic, they're cultural, or even theological. But when you boil each one of those down to its furthest degree, it all goes back to theological. And the reason why talking about Christianity 
salvation, recovery, everything goes back to a moralistic value, okay? So right now, there's a really big difference in our own country, being led by feelings, being led by emotion. What I believe is right is right for me, and what you can believe is right for you, unless if it contradicts what's right for me. Mm-hmm. There's no absolute truth. Yeah. And in the absence of absolute truth, there's going to be discord, there's going to be anarchy, there's going to be hatred, and there's going to be destruction. And I'm not talking about in our country, but I'm talking about in our souls. Right. right. Because when we live away in absence of moral truth, we will self-destruct. Um, the law of thermodynamics, the second law of thermodynamics is called entropy, which is everything is moving from a state of order to disorder. And when God created men, when God created the garden, it was perfect. It was in order. And then when sin entered the world, it started to go from order to disorder. And in our lives, we are constantly moving from a place of order to disorder, from harmony to chaos. Right, right. So what we have to do, if there's no such thing as absolute truth or absolute morality, then there's nothing to turn back to that keeps us from going further down a path of destruction. But if there's absolute truth and there's absolute morality, then we can turn to that source, which is Jesus Christ and the word of God, and compare ourselves not so that we may be judged, but so that we may be convicted. Yeah. Because condemnation is from Satan, and it's meant to drive a wedge between us and God. But conviction is the very tool that leads us to the cross and leads us to repentance. It's the wooing spirit of Jesus Christ. When the woman who was caught naked in the act of prostitution was thrown at Jesus' feet, with the Pharisees and the rulers wanting to stone her, saying, hey, this woman should be put to death according to our customs. Jesus says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Was she sinful? Yes. Could Jesus have stoned her? Yes. But it was out of his love that not only did he recognize her sin, but he called her up out of her sin and said, go sin no more. Yeah. And that is the spirit of conviction. And without truth, we can never be recovered. So that is why the gospel and the word of God and true morality is so important, not only in healing or recovery, but in any part of life, because then there's nothing to hold on to. There's nothing to compare. There's nothing to guide. It's just absolute chaos and anarchy. Yeah. You know, there's been uh, uh, definitely a my truth and your truth scenario. Well, this is my truth, and I, I totally uh, get what you're what you're talking about here. Um, Thanks, Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> right. Uh, I want to say something mean, but I'm not. Uh, no, I will. <laughs> no. I will. Okay, go. No, no if you're, uh, you know, I've heard this before, but you know, if um, if uh, your belief systems, you know, in your gospel can come out of the mouth of Oprah, it's not gospel. Like, so we got to understand that you know, oh, there so is true. this, there is this realm of, uh, of religiosity of this all inclusive and the unity and the deification of man and all that stuff. Um, when we're talking about false beliefs or limiting beliefs, that could be a very uh, big one. 
but I do want to uh, finish maybe a final thought. So we talked about, um, you know, recognition. I think that the, it's a limiting belief being challenged. Um, so, for example, Evan, so I, I had my belief challenged here uh, in this moment. I was, I, I was given a different perspective, uh, more uh, perspective that's more in alignment with the word of God, right? So from that step, um, what well, does change look like moving forward from after right. being challenged? How does this process go? So, and real quickly, if the roles reversed and we were talking about me, Tim would be able to pick up on some of my own uh, limiting self-beliefs and call me out on it. So this just isn't one way. And, and you're right. And you said your limiting belief wasn't in line with the word of God. So the question is, where was it in line with the word of God that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, Mm -hmm. right? Philippians 4.13. So the change is then, if you want to go scripturally, well, then Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's another one that says, I am more than a conqueror, you know? Mm-hmm. there's tons of scriptures that that talk about with god all things are possible with you know let's look at david he freaking before he killed the giant he killed a lion and a bear mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. before before gideon was a mighty man he was a coward yes absolutely literally the day before Joseph was second in command of all of Egypt, he was a prisoner with his name not known. Jonah was given the word of the Lord, and he was running the opposite direction from what God asked him to do, and yet God still brought him to Nineveh. So all that being said, regardless of where you're at, God can take you from your current situations to where he wants you. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, and so being well, hold challenged. On, hold on. This is, yeah, I'm getting there. Okay. But, it, but here's the thing. Every single one of those, those men had to meet a challenge in that process. Every single one of them had to submit or be submitted into the process of what God had for them. And it was a journey and a painful one at that. Right, right. How is that we're going to be submitted in the terms of rewiring our brain, renewing our mind and thinking differently. It's not going to happen in a blink of an eye. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to happen in a day in and day out challenge where God molds us and crafts us and shapes us along the way. So for Tim specifically, what would that look like for him tomorrow? Tim, you're not going to be able to get off the couch and go run 26 miles. Tim, you might not be able to run one mile. But can you get up tomorrow and walk a quarter of a mile? Right, right. You can. You walk probably two miles a day in your own home. I'm pretty active, yeah. I think uh, so, my health is a correlation of one bad meal with um, a tad bit more exercise. No, that's pretty much so, it. So here's the thing. The way to meet that challenge is to take away excuses and things that are hindrances or roadblocks. So, so let's say it's meals for you, Tim. So what if you went and uh, 
let's let's not say you bought a meal plan, but let's say you went and created 20 meals for the week. And on Saturday, you made all those meals and you put them in a container and put in your fridge. And so now whenever you're hungry, you grab one of those pre-made meals. You don't run to Arby's, you don't run to McDonald's, you don't go get pizza, but you've already created a plan and you've already created a system for you to succeed. Yeah, that's a system. Pre, well, here's the thing, but you pre-decided what you're going to do before you're met with a decision in the temptation because you've already created an avenue of success. And then the other thing, let's say you want to go walking in the morning or just in general. Well, if you want to have success in the morning, having your shoes out, your socks out, your clothes ready on the side of your, next to the side of your bed as soon as you wake up, you're probably going to save about 17 minutes getting ready in the morning down to like about two. And that prep time to get ready will allow you to make changes quicker. So you want to know the quickest way to success? To exchange a bad habit for a good habit. And that's from Tom Ziegler. Yeah, that's awesome. Love it, brother. Hey, Mark, how you doing, brother? See if I can unmute you. All right, are you there? Just so you know, you cut out Uh, for a long, you cut out for a very long time. I did? Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Mark's not unmuting there. Hey, Mark, if you have a question or comment, I think you could type it in. For some reason, I'm not able to uh, unmute you. Oh, man, I appreciate this. You know, I look at, um, you know, limiting beliefs. We all want transformation, right? Uh, people are people are selling transformation. Like, hey, this is what you need to transform when the Bible is, uh, spe- specifically spells it out for us that the, the transformation comes through the renewing of our mind. Right. And, uh, sometimes we're not willing to uh, to engage in the process of that transformation, you know? Right. Hey, mute mute Mark just real quick. Uh, I don't want to lose him. I don't okay. know. Got a well, no worries then. Okay. Okay. So a lot of people are living with depression and anxiety. And earlier this year, I was diagnosed with that. And then they offered me medication and I rejected the medication. And so I've been learning how to renew my mind so I would not have to live with depression and anxiety. And I feel like I've done a decent job in that in a very short amount of time. And this is what I've learned. True peace comes from within. Your peace does not depend on your circumstances. So here's a perfect example. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego would not bow down to a statue made of gold to King Nebuchadnezzar. And then when they wouldn't bow down, They were threatened to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And and they basically said, oh, king, don't you know that we serve the living God? And if you throw us into the fire, so be it. Essentially, they're basically saying, but regardless of what we do, we believe our God will be able to deliver us. But But whether he does or doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to you. 
Talk about the biggest slap in the face. And then they were thrown into the fire. It was so hot, it killed two of the guards that threw them in. But they weren't burned. And there was a fourth man in the fire, looked like an angel called the Son of God. But then yet, thousands of years later, there's this dude named Jesus who's sleeping in a boat. And his disciples are are freaked out because of the storm that they're in, afraid that they're going to die. And then they go to him and they say, Lord, Lord, don't you care that we're all going to die? And he wakes up and he goes, oh, ye of little faith. And then he calms the storm. But what happens is that the disciples who had the very presence of Jesus with them, let their circumstances in their situation dictate whether or not they would have peace. Meanwhile, having Jesus Christ, Son of God, Messiah, right there with them, and they were still freaked out. But Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, who did not have the presence of God, trusted God with the process that regardless of whether they lived or they died, they would trust God with the outcome. And so many times we want to control the outcome when God wants us to trust him with the process. Yeah. Mm. That's good stuff. You know, I, uh, I thoroughly uh, believe recovery as not an event, definitely a process. And, you know, when I hear stories about miraculous deliverance, uh, there's a little bit of jealousy, but then there's a little bit of skepticalness. <laughs> it's like, uh, did he de- deliver you from your self-righteous religiosity too? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, Mark, what, what, uh, uh, any feedback, uh, questions, or what, uh, what you get from the conversation, brother? Oh, I got so much. I don't even know what to touch on. I will touch on this. I, y'all. You guys have both just shared some amazing opening things for me. And one thing that Evan was talking about was reprogramming our minds. And, you know, I remember not psychomashing my father, God rest his soul. I love him. And, um, but, you know, I, I remember it was programmed in me early. A lot of the things I heard from him was, uh, you know, I don't think you'd be good at that or you can't. And so, from an early age, I grew up um, with this record in my head that everything I would try, but I I can't. I'm not going to succeed. You know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be able to do that. And I heard a a female minister. Um, I guess it's okay to say her name, Joyce Myers, talking about reprogramming your mind. And you know, I didn't know back then that I could quote the same scriptures that. Um, uh, Evan had uh, brought out, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strength. Yeah. Hey, when I feel fear, I can say, God didn't give me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and sound mind. And today I'm having to, sometime when I'm feeling fear, I have to quote that scripture. You know, sometime when I'm, my mind's telling me I can't, I have to re- repeat the scripture out loud, kind of like what Evan was talking about, so I can hear my own words. Yeah. You know, and hear that word, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. You know, my mind told me, you know, I couldn't stay sober. Well, as long as I walk around with a case I can't, I'm never going to. Yeah. But what I've had to learn is to reprogram around my mind. Okay. Um, and, and I believe, and I do believe it is a process. Now, I know it. I'm kind of like you, Tim. I've heard people say, you know, I've been healed, sealed, and delivered, as they called it. And that they may have very well been. I'm not doubting that. 
then because that's not been my experience and I'm having to go from a one day at a time process, I get a little jealous too. I think, well, <laughs> God, you know, God, you slap them on the forehead and they're fine. What about me? Why do I have to do this? I think God works differently in, in each person's life. And so I just have to accept the way he's choosing to work in my life. And, you know, I believe with all my heart, as long as I keep seeking him, he will continue working my life. And as long as I have willingness to do that, I think for any changes can occur in my life, I first have to have willingness. Yeah. And if I don't have willingness, there's times I have to say, God, I pray for willingness to give this up, willingness to change in this area. You know, That's but I've enjoyed this thoroughly. And thank you so much for letting me in. Hey, I wanted you to uh, give you a revelation that uh, it's probably like three weeks ago I was studying and uh, I was looking up the word can't and it's actually a two, uh, uh, it's a compound, you know, two words scenario in the Greek. But, um, you know, we understand God's power to be uh, dunamis and whenever the Holy Spirit's mentioned in correlation to his power, it's his dunamis, uh, miraculous ability, strength, might and all this stuff. But the word I can't originate in the Greek, it's no dunamis. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's exactly, uh, uh, you know, what takes place in, in my mind first. If I believe I can't, then, then I'm under the assumption that there's, there, there's, there's no power. There's no ability. There's no dunamis. And then, of course, it actually becomes a reality in my life where God's ability doesn't operate because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm under the assumption that the, that the power of God is not available to me. You know? So well, my, my phone is playing out, so I've got to exit. But thank you so much. And God bless you guys. Thank you, you Evan. Thank you, you bet. Evan, so final this, thoughts, brother. So final thoughts. There's final this thought. idea when it comes to ability, righteousness, holiness, sanctification. Okay. We have been sanctified because Jesus died on the cross. We're in the process of sanctification because we're being living our lives, and yet we will be sanctified mm -hmm. when we enter into eternal glory. There's there's three, it's a three in one. I have been, I'm currently being, and I will be. Yeah. And that's also yeah. with healing. And and man, like some people's healing comes in death. Mm -hmm. And a lot of Christians and a lot of ministries don't know how to handle that truth because we want to see healing from cancer. We want to see healing in people's lives miraculously. Mm -hmm. And as a man who has seen a lot of death around me, I have learned sometimes God heals in the miraculous and sometimes God heals through death. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. If I'm going to trust God and put faith for healing for the person's earthly body, I must also put enough faith and trust in God with that person passing away. Yeah. Why did my daughter have to pass away? You know, when I struggled with that, I realized that I had to trust that God's story and God's truth extends beyond my life yeah yeah and it it was a call for me to truly 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 in here i believed and i did believe in heaven in here but when i started seeing all my friends and mentors pass away it really caused me like all right god i have to trust you in their death 
I have to have faith in you in their death. Mm-hmm. And so many times we have to have faith in God when we never see the results we want. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I uh, I thoroughly believe that um, that there's certain outcomes that uh, that are not guaranteed. I mean, Jesus came upon many sick people. He healed some. Uh, some of them um, were not healed. It's not like he attempted uh, to heal them, and they weren't. It was just like you know, uh, part of the process and the plan. It's just like you know, thinking in, in kind of the word faith and the uh, Pentecostal persuasion you know we think uh of course that it's god's will for you to uh, be successful be healthy and to prosper and just like we would want our child to be healthy and, and prosper and so forth that um that somehow sometimes our experience doesn't seem to reflect that reality and therefore uh, because our human experience doesn't line up i'm going to this I'm going to discount that maybe God still heals or that maybe um, that God's not going to heal me sort of thing. So, you know, I it's see because, that. It's because we're focused on the destination and not the journey. Yeah. That's what I told the, the guys yesterday. We're all going to Disneyland, <laughs> you know, <laughs> metaphorically. Uh, I don't know why uh, we're making so many excuses to where God wants to take us because, I mean, we know the destination, right? It's not uh, the destination that God has for us, and the, there's no surprise. The path is, is the narrow gate. It's not going to be, uh, it's very narrow in its belief system. And Jesus, the way, the truth, and life. And it's very bumpy in the sense of, of this process and the struggle that you talk about. But we are going to a, a great location, and uh, we should be happy about going to, you know, to where we right. go. Because we do and not. The fear of that is because, man, that's something I struggled with is the fear of death. I've lost 13 close people in my life, one a year for about 13 plus years. And that's one thing that caused a lot of depression and anxiety. You know, what I learned this year is that by having that habitual thought of death, because I had so much death around me, is that what what worried me the most is not being able to live the full human experience. And because I had that fear, I started mourning, grieving that reality would not happen. So what ended up happening, I was grieving and and mourning a reality that not only has not happened, but it's also in the future that hasn't taken place. Meanwhile, it is, very much disrupting my life here and now. Yeah. And it wasn't until I realized I'm creating a self-fulfilling prophecy in my life in that area when I was challenged. That was an immediate shift for me, Tim, because because I had been searching for healing for so long in in that area that when that revelation came, it made sense. And it was an immediate mental shift and change. Yeah. But my mind had been primed and prepped and pumped for over 13 years. Yeah. And when that happened, that shift took place. Yeah. That's kind of what I was talking about, this uh, the way God works sometimes. And, and uh, that, um, 
you know, I believe things are written upon our heart, especially when we're young and we're a clean slate and we have a lot of emotion attached to the way we interpret certain events and we interpret them in a very selfish, all about me scenario. But it's like the combination of the feelings, the scenario and the assumptions, they all create this ball of belief that's just very powerful. And I think God sometimes uh, he busts those with the same way they were created. And mm-hmm. that is he comes with his truth, his belief, his, his, his point of view. And we just, we, we receive it. And, and if you're like me, you know, it brings you to tears and there's a lot mm-hmm. of emotion attached to it. And it's almost like the, the written on the tablets of your heart. And that, that's what I really believe that was probably a correlating to that God uh, writes his perspective, his paradigm, his belief system on the tablets of our heart. And it's right. It's a powerful reality. And those are the, those are the heels that we die on because we know that we know that we know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, when it, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to Jesus Christ, man, like, while I never want to be a martyr by any means, I also feel like it might be one of the easiest decisions <laughs> because, because I'm so confident in God and the word. And I say that and I'm just like, Oh, but God help my unbelief. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many areas I'm so confident in and so many areas that I'm weak in (laughs) that was an oxymoron no no problem and we're going to wrap it up hey if you're listening to this podcast I encourage you to click on the link in the description that'll take you to the GCR groups also I encourage you to uh, uh, check out Evan's podcast once again it's the whole person Uh, if you're interested in holistic living uh Family, faith, fitness, finance, and fun. And I might have missed one. I don't know. Uh, yeah, check, out, <laughs> check out Evan's podcast. And, uh, and you'll be glad you did. A couple things. I just, whoever's listening, I want you to know that I'm not arrived. And I am documenting my journey of personal growth. And I also want to share with you, if you're listening to this, It's because you have a desire to see transformation and healing in your life. And I firmly believe that you are on that path already. You're probably looking at the perspective, oh, I need healing, that there's a destination out there that someday I will reach. But you're actually already on that journey, whether you realize it or not. And what I want you to know is the greatest takeaway that I've had this year that has helped change my life Help me to um, stop looking at pornography, to help me to lose weight, is that I stopped focusing on the person I wanted to be. I stopped focusing on the destination, this perfect version of myself. And I started loving myself through the process of change and allowing God to shape and mold me along the way. Yeah. But I had to learn how to love myself. And once I was able to have grace on my life for myself that's when peace started happening that's when the change started taking place 
Yeah. And that's when freedom started being lived out. That's good stuff. Love it, brother. Love it. Hey, uh, if you, um, I'm talking to the audience here. If you uh, haven't really felt the message and the surrender to, to Jesus Christ, I do want to um, just give you this analogy that God gave me this week. And that is um, falling short, sinning is just simply missing the bullseye. And the reality is, is that if you have uh, talent and ability, uh, you have inner efficacy, you might be able to hit the bullseye. But the idea of perfection is, can you hit the bullseye 100 times in a row? Okay, if you by chance have the uh, skill and audacity to hit the bullseye 100 times in a row, can you do it 1,000? And the idea of perfection is to hit the bullseye every single time without failing. Um, and the reality is, is that we don't measure up. And we see athletes, we see football players who have a certain uh, uh, passing accuracy, and it's nowhere close to 100. We have basketball stars that have this amazing skill and the talent and abilities. Their abilities are nowhere close to 100. Everything. In- look at Look at baseball. Yeah. You know, a perfect batting average is a thousand. And there's people with like 150, 200, and 300. That means they hit the ball one to two to three times out of 10. And that's considered well. See, this is what I'm talking about. So, with this revelation, this scenario that I got is this really uh, revelation of humbleness that um, that, uh, I can't measure up. And so, this is where where Jesus Christ comes into play, and he's saying, "Ah, Obi Wan, <laughs> oh, you learned lesson, <laughs> the wise master." Uh, no, it's really the lesson. So, I can't measure up, uh, so I surrender to the process of someone who already did, and that's amazing. So, oh man, man, this is just going to be a long podcast, and I'm okay with it if you are. Cause I got, I, I got something if you, if I, if we have time, I got a little bit more time. My wife's uh, calling me for dinner, but okay. <laughs> you don't, you don't need to eat. Remember? <laughs> um, so the book of Galatians in the Bible, it's written to the Galatian church, a Gentile church who weren't Jews that had accepted Christ after the cross, after the resurrection And Paul is writing them, basically saying, hey, you were living in freedom. Why are you having to live according to Jewish customs? Why are you throwing away the peace, the freedom that you have in Christ to take on the yoke and bondage of the law? Right, right. And the thing is, is the law in the Old Testament are not only the Ten Commandments, but all the other Jewish laws that the Levitical law and all the other things that the priests and the Pharisees decided that should be a custom for good Jewish living. The law was written so that people would know that they did miss the mark. It was to be that they didn't have what it takes. It wasn't meant to, you need to be perfect, but it was that they realized that they could not be perfect because the Pharisees lived with this idea that they could be perfect. But this Gentile church had the freedom of salvation, but then started trying to take on the yoke of bondage through circumcision and Jewish laws and Jewish tradition. And they were Gentiles. And Paul's saying, don't do this. You already have freedom. 
that which you could not do in the flesh, which is the law Christ did through the cross. He came to abolish the law so that you might live free. He's the fulfillment of the law. Yes. And so here's what that simply boils down to. We sin Mm -hmm. and we cannot be perfect. And one sin makes us ineligible. Yes. Mm -hmm. But because Jesus Christ died on the cross, we have freedom by accepting him as Jesus, as Savior, and as Lord of our life and repenting of our sins. Does that mean we're perfect from then on? No. But it now means that we have the freedom to live detached from trying to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that through Jesus Christ, we can have salvation and enter into the kingdom of God. Right. And so for any of you listening that haven't accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, right here, right now, is your time and your chance. You want, you want salvation. You want healing. You want hope. You want wholeness. It's in Jesus. It's not instantaneous. It's not going to be perfect. Right. It's going to be a long, messy, sticky journey. And anyone right. that tells you otherwise is often lying. Right, right. But here's the thing. Jesus will be with you in the process. Just like Jesus was with the disciples in the boat. And just like Jesus appeared in the fire with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And he's asking to be present in your life. And you just have to let him. Mm -hmm. So God, we come to you in Jesus' name for our brothers listening to this. And if you want to accept Jesus, say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I'll give you a second to say that. I repent of my sin. And Lord, help change me from the inside out so that I might look like you. And that I will be your disciple and bear much fruit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, brother. Well, I appreciate you so much, man. Thanks for uh, coming on. And uh, we're definitely going to schedule a rotation where we uh, tackle some topics, brother. This was fun. I love you. I love everything that you're doing, man. All right. Take care. Talk to you soon.